Good morning, good morning, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Trinity Baptist Church. My name is Clayton. I'm a worship leader here at Trinity. Hi. <laughs> hello, hello. It's good to see everybody. Good to see a lot of familiar faces. Good to see some new faces as well. I'm really just killing time. I'm ready. Well, that was fun. Hey, it's time to worship. That's what we've come for. We've come already this morning so that we can have an encounter, right? Uh, we were just praying. We were just praying this morning. And uh, C.S. Lewis said, it's hard to argue with a man who's had an experience, right? Because somebody says, well, that doesn't happen. And you go, well, it did happen. Now, I've always thought of that singularly as I've had an experience with the Lord and it's hard to argue with a man who's had an experience. But I began thinking about all of us this morning. It's hard to argue with a community that's had an experience. And that's what happened with the early church. They, in, they saw Jesus resurrected, right? There were 500 on that day who saw him resurrected. And when people said, well, that doesn't happen. People don't get up from the dead. They go, well, I saw him. I touched him. I sat down and I ate with him. It's hard to argue with a community that's had an experience. Right? When, when a little child gets healed in the midst of a family where they've already got the professional funeral attenders outside, it's hard to argue with that family when, when you've had an experience. So we began praying for you this morning, for us, that we would come and have an experience with the Lord this morning because it's hard to argue with a community that's had an experience. Now, I experience the Lord usually like this with a guitar here or maybe the Bible here. Usually there are tears involved. Just, you know me, I'm, I'm gonna cry anyway. When Jesus shows up, it's like beep, beep. And then I just, I cry because he's so good. He's so good. Being near him is so good. It makes me weepy all the time. And so my prayer for you this morning is that you and I, that we can all have an experience with the living, breathing God. Not a God that was. What does he say in Matthew? He says, do you not know? He's talking to the, Sad or the Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection. He goes, you don't even read the book. You think there's no such thing as a resurrection. You're asking me about who's going to be married to who in the afterlife. You don't even believe in it. But let me tell you what. I'm not the God of was. I'm the God of am. Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob, they live and I am their God now. And he is our God now because he's the God of is. Amen. So let's stand. Let's stand. We're going to sing about the faithfulness of the Lord this morning. We're going to sing about his goodness, about his is-ness, how we can trust in him today. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you that we can come. We thank you that you challenge us. You, you beckon us. You call us to experience you. Come and taste and see that I am 
good, not that I was good. Mm. Oh God, we rest our lives on you, our cornerstone. Amen. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Love to hear those voices. Sing again. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Cry! 
Fear not, he is with us, oh, be not dismayed. He'll be our defender, cause us in strength. He'll be our defender and cause us to stand. Upheld by his merciful almighty hand. How firm our foundation. Trusting in Jesus our Lord will press on enduring the darkest of storms. And though even hell should endeavor to shake, he'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Jesus, Jesus. 
you're still with us for a reason, because this morning I want you to observe, to be aware of one of the things that we do as a church. We just sang that Jesus is a firm foundation. Why is that? Well, because the reality of the world we live in is that we are battered by the storms of life. That as followers of Christ, we live in a time and a place where we feel worn down, whether it's sickness or financial troubles or relational struggles, whatever they may be. And kids, you may see that in your relationship with your friends at school or things going on in your family. But I want you to know how strong Jesus is to be there for you in any and every circumstance. And so it's important for me that you see what the adults are about to do as they come to the Lord's table, as they come to what we call the communion table, and celebrate something that Jesus instructed his followers to do long ago before he was crucified. We're invited to draw near to the table. We're invited to draw near to Jesus, be reminded of what he has done on our behalf, to remember that he is faithful, trustworthy, that he has gone ahead of us, that he exhibits, that he is an example of the love that he invites us into. It's a sacrificial kind of love. A love that says, I am, I love you so much that I'm willing to die for you, to, to lay down my own needs and, and, and to be a sacrifice so that you might live, so that you might embrace the love of your Heavenly Father. And so we celebrate this time as a faith family. Whether you are a member of this church or not, we come to this table because of our faith in Jesus. And so I invite any of you, whether you are a member of this church or not, to celebrate the Lord's Supper with us. If you have put your faith in Christ, if you have put your trust in him. We're reminded that on the, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his closest followers. And after the supper, he took bread. And after taking the bread, he, he broke it, and he gave thanks for the bread. He turned to his father and said, Father, thank you. And he looked at his disciples, and he said, this, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. So whenever you eat of it, eat of it in remembrance of me. Eat of it in remembrance of my love. Eat of it in remembrance of my sacrifice for you. Eat of it in remembrance of my obedience to the Father. Eat of it in remembrance of the relationship that has been established in my sacrifice. Not in your power or your ability to obey. Eat of the bread, which is symbolic of Christ's body broken for us, that we might live by faith in Christ alone. In the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup. This cup is symbolic, in Jesus' words, of, uh, of a relationship that we have with God. It's symbolic of the covenant we have with God through Jesus Christ. 
the, the cup. Sometimes in the Bible it talks about this filling up of our cup. It's this filling up of the future promise, our, our, our not just our legacy, but, but the promises that have been given to us. And when Jesus took the cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's your future made possible by Jesus' shed blood. And so after the supper, Jesus takes the cup and he says that this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you that you desire to be in a relationship with those you've created. Not that you just want to be in a relationship, but you've made a way for us to be in a relationship with you again. A, a relationship where we are not responsible for achieving our own salvation or righteousness or proving our worth. That's already been determined in Christ's death on the cross. That's already been determined in the promises of God that we trust in, that we rely upon, that we Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be back with you all. I, uh, I'm thankful that I could take some time to go away with my family. 
Uh, you know, there's many things that we were able to do to laugh and relax and have a good time together, but I'm especially thankful for uh, just getting to break from my regular routine and be reminded of God's love for me. I hope, I hope that we all give ourselves permission to, to, to unplug from our regular routines and, and really learn to listen for how great God's love is for each and every one of us. It was, it was more a gift for me these past couple weeks than I realized I needed, to be honest with you. You get so busy with doing things, you think you're doing good things for God, and yet you forget, you forget how much God loves you and how much he is speaking to you if you'll only quiet your mind and listen to him. So thank you for that gift. I, I, I recognize that as a gift that, that you all have given to me in allowing us to go away together as a family. This morning, we're going to be closing out our series called The Bible Doesn't Say That. And I, I have enjoyed this series, not just because uh, it, it's, it's a fun series, although it has been fun, but it's also, it's, it's kind of reminded me of one of the perks of being a senior pastor is you get to give difficult passages to other leaders that, that step up for you while you're away. So, so thank you for that, Clayton and, and Robert. Thank you. Uh, yeah, honestly, I, I'm very thankful that, that I can... You know, as a leader, sometimes it's hard to relinquish responsibility, right? That you feel like, I'm responsible for being this person or doing that. And, and it's a good reminder that, no, no, you're not, Dan. You're not that good, right? Um, but that God's also brought leaders into place that, that give you that confidence to say, man, I'm not alone. Like, look at God, who these men are that you've raised up to, to step in. These other leaders that have taken care of things. The elders were so helpful to me in, in being able to unplug, to know that they're taking care of things was, was a huge gift. So uh, that's another, you know, it's a, it's, it's a great gift that we have here at Trinity is to have uh, many people who are being used by God to, to care for us as a, as a group of followers of Christ. The other reason I've been enjoying this series is that it's been extremely practical to the life of discipleship. Now, I mean, if we're going to be students of Jesus, right, if, if we will embrace that calling as children of God, then it's important we actually know what that means to be a child of God, what it, who God is and who he's revealed himself to be. And the only way we can absolutely know who God is is how, in turning to the ways that he's revealed himself to us, namely to the Bible. It's our only authority in life and faith. It is to, to turn to God who has taken the initiative to, to tell the world who he is, to, to proclaim to the world who he is. There's that, that very important passage in Romans that talks about this idea of general revelation, that we, you know, we see the stars and, 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 and the trees and creation and, and realize there's a higher power. But that doesn't actually tell us who God is. That tells us that there is a higher power that created this thing. But God spoke, and he told us who he was. And, 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 and that's the value, the benefit of, uh, of spending time with God personally in his word and knowing what the Bible actually says about God. Now, Sadly, we live in a world, a time in history, where, where being a Christian is nothing more than a title, right? We, we, there are many people who say they're a Christian, or I should say maybe five, ten years ago it was more a thing where people said they were a Christian, but they're actually not a Christian. They just like the, the peace of not being placed under like the microscope of judgment and they actually feel like, okay, it's safe. If I say I'm a Christian, they'll leave me alone, right? They won't question what I'm thinking or feeling or believing. 
there was a time where that was true. I think it's become less popular. We live in a day and age now where it's not as popular to say that you're a Christian. And so, uh, you know, that, that may not be as true today. But, but being a Christian is more than just holding on to a title. It's more than just saying, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm one of those people. That could mean many different things in our day and age. People have different understandings of what it means to be a Christian. Not that Christian is an unbiblical term, right? But, but it's not... It's not a title I like to live by. It's why I prefer disciple or follower of Jesus. It doesn't roll off the tongue so smoothly, but I feel like it gives me a chance to really understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I think that in our day and age, this idea of being a Christian is so easily misunderstood. It's watered down. Church, it's important to me that we understand that, that, that Christianity, it's not about a title. It's not about, about using a descriptor that, that kind of confirms your identity or, or kind of like, so people, when they hear Christian, they kind of put you in a box and say, this is who you are. It's important to me that we understand that, 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 that Christianity is so much more than that. In the span of eternity, it really doesn't matter if you call yourself a Christian or not. That's not what matters. What matters most, at least to me, for us as a congregation, is, is whether or not we trust in the Bible as God's spoken word. And what I mean by that is not just that we say, amen, I affirm that's true, but that we live as if it's true. That, that, that if we affirm uh, these truths which we uphold each and every Sunday, we don't walk away Sunday morning and say, that was a great sermon or what a great time of worship, and then and then go back to life again, like switch a flip and then become someone different. But we, we actually allow the word of God to shape our character. We care about who we are becoming. We, we care, am I actually becoming a generous person? Am I actually becoming more compassionate, patient, merciful, loving, sacrificial? Or is it kind of nice to say, I'm a Christian, and then step down out of the pulpit and be more shaped by the hunger of the deeds of my flesh? Am I, am I bothered by the lies I tell myself or the lies I tell others? Or, or, or am I bothered by the gossip that I'm a part of or that I hear? I think it's important that we understand that knowing what the Bible says is important, not just so that we can say, yeah, I know what the Bible says in that passage, or I know what it means. It's important to know what the Bible says because the Bible calls us to be transformed by it, to be shaped by it, to, to have a character that reflects these truths which we uphold, to, to not try to, to claim a title in this life so that it appeases our neighbors. Or, or, or not even to, to claim a title that makes the person sitting next, next to me in my pew happy about who I am. But to have a knowledge of what God has said and done and to understand who he wants to shape me into as I surrender my heart to him and let him have more and more sway over my life. So it's really important 
that we don't just allow our ears to be tickled by pithy or fun alliterations that the pastor may say from up front, or we may read in a tweet, or, or see posted online, or, or a poem that, that is particularly meaningful to us, but that we actually live biblically healthy lives. Not just healthy lives, but biblically healthy lives. In fact, I think that first word is more important because it defines what a healthy life actually is. See, our world has been rocked by leaders who sound great from the front, but they don't have the character that reflects what they preach and teach. I, I grew up in that church, not, not here, Trinity. <laughs> After I left here, I, 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 we went up to upstate New York. <laughs> but, but I grew up in that world, and, and it's not specific to one leader but, but it, it, it's, we, we, we list the names of leaders of the church that have been so influential on the church in our world, and they have fallen from grace. They've been arrogant, prideful, mean. They've torn people down. Their character has not reflected what they've said and proclaimed from the pulpit. And it's not just relevant to pastors. We as a church have bought into this. We love seeing churches that grow fast, that have the, the brightest and best programs, the things that feed our needs. And yet, I, I struggle to see where that's upheld as an ideal in God's word. In fact, I, I see God upholding a church that was called to die to themselves, that was called to live a life of sacrifice, and not self-interest. See, I, I have a conviction, along with all of you, I'm sure, I'm positive that you're with me on this, that we're not called to be Christians by name only, but, but by actually reflecting the healthy character of Christ as God has revealed him to us in the Bible. Pithy, ear-tickling statements, they're not going to get us there. As helpful as they may be to remember certain biblical truths, they're not the things that, that transform us or save us. They, they, they may sound good when we recite them and say them to others, but really all they are is, is pictures of crystal clear, cool water that when poured out for others really is just dust emptiness. It, it's like pouring that pitcher out and realizing there's really nothing of substance in there. It's not going to quench anyone's thirst. It's not going to heal what's broken inside of them. It's not going to restore them. We're just empty jars with nothing of substance if our Christianity is all about a title and being able to rely on pithy statements. One of those pithy statements, those ear-tickling statements that, that we're going to explore this morning we'll close out our series with, is God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Right? Have you heard that before? Yeah. Have you wanted to hurt the person who said that to you before? Yes. I debated on my notes how I'd talk about that because I thought, well, I don't want to sound like too unchristianly, you know, but there, there it goes, right? I mean, the reality is it's not true. The truth is that God absolutely gives you more than you can handle. But he doesn't give you more than he can handle. 
If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 with me. I'm going to read uh, verses 3 through 11 for us, and uh, just follow along. Follow along. Because the reality is, this is important for us to, to grapple with. It's not just a matter of having the right theology in our head. It's having the right theology in our heart. That we know and understand who God is. That we know and understand who the church is and who, who the people of God are meant to be. be before I read this passage, I, I, I just want to say one more thing as way of introduction. I, I said to the worship team this morning that I kind of came into this morning with a heavy heart, which is kind of funny to do when you're just coming off a of vacation because you should be refreshed and energized. But I woke up this morning with a very heavy heart because, uh, you know, I, I've seen too many people who have been wounded and hurt by the church. I had a conversation with a couple of people recently who were wounded and hurt, but not, not, again, not Trinity. It's, uh, you know, other people elsewhere in the United States. I'm not, I'm not changing their names to protect their identity. It's a real thing. They're, you know, they're somewhere else. But they're so wounded by what the church had done to them, by holding them to this unbiblical expectation by, by being led by unhealthy leaders who affirm the Bible, but then don't live in accordance with what the Bible teaches. And it breaks my heart because these are two very close people to me who, who I considered, you know, you know there's this analogy in, in war, I've never gone to war, but having these foxhole buddies, these, these war buddies, people who you can stand back to back with, and in defense of or in, in being offensive with battle. And these were my foxhole buddies. And yet, they're hurt not by the church that Jesus founded, but by the church that this culture has grown, where it's been about feeding our needs or upholding an expectation we have in our mind of what a powerful leader is supposed to be. He's this corporate-minded, uh, aggressive, church-growth-minded, like exponential people in the pews at all costs, burning out leaders in their wake. And, and that's who these people are that I love. They've been hurt by the church. They've been hurt by the people of God. They're not hurt by the world out there. They're hurt by the people in here. Church, this is why discipleship is so important to me. Because we need to learn to be the people of God that live biblically healthy lives. And not follow along with things that sound smooth and tickling to the ears. But people who are faithful to trust God, to say, God, I know you love me and I know you know what's best for me. And even though I don't know what that means or looks like right now, I will trust in you. I will, I, I will lean into you. I will learn to live a life that reflects the truth of the Bible. Church, we need to be that. Your pastor needs that. I, I, I need it for myself. I, I hope I never pretend to be better than I am. I hope I'm always honest with you all. Not because... I like to beat myself up or anything like that, but because it's the word of God that should guide us. No one should be so arrogant or prideful to think that they've got the word of God figured out, they know how it is, and they're going to start telling you about it. We are all students of the word of God. We are all these balls of clay 
under the master's hand, shaping us and molding us. And we need the word to do that work in our lives. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, follow along. Let's, let's see what the Bible actually teaches about, about that phrase uh, that God will not give you more than you can handle. Paul says this. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our, all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if we're comforted, it's for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Father, we do thank you for your word. And Lord, we, we ask your, uh, your, for your grace and mercy in those places where we, uh, where we are not living up to the standard of your expectation. But Lord, it's not in our effort that that's accomplished, but in our dependence on you and our surrender toward you to you. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we spend this time in your word, your Holy Spirit would guide us, quicken our hearts, awaken our minds, draw us near to you that we might be faithful to follow you, not faithful to be the most perfect and obedient and uh, most uh, excellent looking Christian, but that in the moments of success and failure, good and bad, we might trust you and follow you and rely upon you all the days of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, I wonder if you can relate to Paul in his affliction. Right? Paul's circumstances may be different than what we can relate to, but I wonder if you can relate to the, the emotion, the weight, the significance that he feels in his soul as he writes to the Corinthian church here. See, Paul is not a, uh, he's not a newcomer to pain and affliction. He was whipped 30, uh, five times, sorry, he was whipped with a lash 39 times. Three times he was beaten with rods. One time he was stoned. He was shipwrecked and, and adrift three times. There were times that he went without food and water. He was imprisoned, mocked and overcome with anxiety. This man who we attribute so much of the New Testament to, this man who has been so influential on our faith, he despairs even of life. Have you felt that? Have you experienced that kind of weight that Paul depicts for us in the passage this morning? See, we're told in verse 8 that Paul, 
Paul's pain was so great in Asia that, that he was utterly burdened beyond his own strength and despaired of life itself. See, this is key to us understanding whether or not God will give us more than we can handle. Paul, Paul admits humility flows through Paul, and he admits, I'm not so great a man. I was despaired of, of life itself, and, and I was burdened beyond my own strength. Who likes to admit that they've been burdened beyond their own strength? No, I mean, granted, we might do it in the privacy of our own prayer closets, but no one likes to say that this is beyond my own strength. No one likes to be able to say, I can't figure this problem out. No one likes to say that I don't have it in me to accomplish what needs to be accomplished in front of us right now. And yet that's where Paul's at. He uses the Greek word thlibis for affection or for affliction, which literally means being squeezed, almost like you might squeeze an orange to get orange juice. And in the process, you're not just getting the juice, you're getting the pulp, you're getting the seeds, you're getting everything. You're literally squeezing and crushing this orange. You're afflicting the orange, right? It's it's a type of torture you might think in, in medieval times where someone's put on the rack and they're, 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 it's kind of the reverse of the pressure of being squeezed. You're being stretched beyond what is humanly possible or healthy. It's this ongoing pressure that's put upon a person or, or, or an object. Can, can you remember a time in your life where you felt that pressure? Where you're like, I, 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 I can't get my head above the water. I, I, can't take a, I can't get a breath. It's relentless, this pain, this, this anguish, this frustration, this inadequacy. It's relentless. My own experience of, of these trials and tribulations and pain and suffering, it's been a bit of an up and down journey for me, right? Like I, 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 I've had these seasons where I've faced a difficult circumstance and said, that's it, I can't take any more. And yet somehow weeks, months, years down the road, I face another circumstance which is like 10 times worse than the previous one, and I'm saying it again. I can't, I can't take it. I, I don't know how to get beyond this. Like, it's more pressure than I can handle, and yet God shows me next time he, he, inflict, he allows more pressure to be put upon me, and somehow I, I may not get through it in a way that the world wants to see me get through it. It may not be like me winning the day, but, but God gets me through it. I remember the night that I came home from the hospital after my grandmother died suddenly, the first time in my life that I'd lost someone close to me. And, and, and honestly, I remember looking up at the stars that night because we had people in the house, so I had to sleep out in the pop-up, which is like salt in the wound. But um, I just remember seeing the stars. They were so bright. And I'm thinking, Lord, this is a significant moment. Like, my life, I, I don't see what tomorrow looks like. I mean, it's, it seems a little dramatic as a young man to be like, my life is over when, when my grandmother passes away, but there's a reality to that. The anguish you feel of being squeezed, it doesn't just go away when you wake up the next morning. It's relentless. It's, it's ongoing. It's heavy and strong. I remember driving home from Albany Medical Center with my brother and sister in my parents' car after visiting my mom who'd fallen and fractured her skull. And I remember thinking, my life is forever changed. I, I, my, I, my mom's gone. Like, I, I, what do I do? Right? I remember officiating my grandfather's funeral and standing there while a color guard played taps, folded the flag, and handed it to my grandmother, and I thought, 
Why again, Lord? Really? I, I can't handle this. I can't get through this. I don't know what tomorrow looks like. I don't even know how to get through this service. I remember when I was sitting in uh, the room next to Tara in the maternity ward at Bridgeport Hospital, and a doctor comes in to tell us that our daughter, Eliza, was born with three holes in her heart. What do you do in that moment? You can't see what tomorrow looks like. You, you, you don't know how to get out from underneath that pressure. It, it's an insurmountable amount of pressure. And, and then someone walks in and says, hey, but don't forget, God doesn't give you more than you can handle, you know? That, that, that didn't happen. No one actually said that. But, but it's the sort of thing where you're like, what, really, Lord? How am I going to get beyond this? Like, my, my, my world feels like it's hit the end. It's hit a wall. I can't see what tomorrow looks like. I'll be honest. If you came up to me in any of those circumstances and actually said that to me, I, I don't think I would have responded in a way that reflects the character of Christ. Because it's just not true. And it's not helpful to hear. No one needs to hear God doesn't give you more than you can handle. See, in each of these moments, I, I felt the pressure closing in on me. I, I struggled to get my head above the water and see what God had planned for my life at that point or how he was going to get me through it. I, I, was, I was in the valley of the shadow of darkness, of death. And man, I couldn't see any light. But that's the reality we have to be aware of. Because in that moment, whether we see the light or not, whether we see a way out of our circumstances, there is a shepherd who is there with us in the darkness, leading us through the valley of the shadow of darkness. So what about you? Can you think of those times in your life where you were in such a place of affliction, where you felt the pressure squeezing in on you? See, the reality is affliction is a reality in our world, right? We, we sometimes think, well, if, I'm, if things are going rough for me right now, well, it's because I'm doing something wrong. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes the choices we make, the, 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 the things that are going on in our life are because of choices we've made. But oftentimes, the reality of affliction of, of this pain, of this difficulty, ha has nothing to do with the choices we've made because it's a reality of the world we live in. A and yet, foolishly, we believe that we can avoid or dull the pain, that we can get around this if we just ignore it a little bit. Mankind puts huge amounts of energy into combating pain and suffering. Do you know that in the U.S. alone, there's apparently more than 30% of Americans who live with some sort of chronic or severe pain, and our nation alone spends over $5 billion to dull or get rid of the pain every year. Now, don't get me wrong. If I get a headache, ask Tara. If I get a headache, I'll be the first to take an ibuprofen, right? Like, I hate pain. I'm, I'm a wimp. But the point is... No, listen, we're not celebrating the fact that I'm a wimp here. <laughs> the, the point is, it's not to shame us to think, oh, we, we spend that much money on, on, on doling the pain or getting rid of it. The point is that pain is not something that we're just meant to ignore or shove aside or get rid of, but that God has a purpose to utilize that, to, to, to transform us, 
to grow us, to mature us, to teach us how to depend upon him more and more and more and realize that he is a faithful God to lead us through the circumstances of our lives. So what if, unlike the world we live in, we viewed affliction as meaningful, not just something to be dulled or ignored or avoided, what if we came to the same conclusion as Paul? What if when we're squeezed and burdened beyond our strength, we don't run away and hide from the pain, but instead we trust in God more. We determine to surrender our hearts to him, to not be in control or not try to control our circumstances and situation, but look to him in faith. What if we believed along with Paul that, it, that he says in 2 Corinthians 1.9 that God's purpose was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises us from the, the dead. God absolutely gives us more than we can handle. But he doesn't give us more than he can handle. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10.13 that no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, this may sound like this is affirming the statement, God will not give you more than you can handle. But hear me out, because I don't think that's what it's saying at all. Is this statement, or is Paul saying that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability, but just enough so that you can still dig your, way out, your own way out when you're, when you're in that, that pit. No. He, he says that God is faithful. He doesn't say man is faithful to get out of their troubles. He says God is faithful and that God will provide the way of escape. God is the active agent in our rescue, in our salvation, in, in shepherding us through some of these very difficult and tenuous circumstances. Are you following me? You see what I'm saying? That, 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 this is not uh, something that God's saying, hey, I'm just going to give you enough so, you can, so it doesn't quite break you. God gives you more than you can handle so you learn that you can rely upon him, that he can be your source of strength, that he can encourage you and strengthen you and, and help you pers persevere. It doesn't mean that you're going to win the outcome. You're not going to be, you know, it, it's not like you're going to see everything go smooth and dandy in your life. But you will come through each and every circumstance, period. You'll get through it. And, and in the process, you're going to look back on that pathway and see how God transformed your life, strengthened your faith, and set you on a path to be a comfort for others. So I think God allows us to endure difficult times like Paul did so that we might learn to rely on God who is faithful. So that we might not just quote verses like Philippians 1.6, which we love to say that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to, the day of, or to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Right? Like we as Christians, we love to quote some of these verses. But are we living those verses? See, I think God allows us to go through these difficult circumstances so we can learn to rely on him so that we, we would actually learn to trust in him and then live each day as if it's true. When I hit a wall of despair, when, when it's tempting to me to quit and just give up and give in, uh, when it's tempting to just stop caring about things, 
But if I believe that God is actively at work in my life, if I believe that he is still doing something, that he's going to continue to do something until it is complete on the day when Christ Jesus returns, and I can have hope no matter what my circumstances look like because I know that the story is not done, that God is still writing my story, that he's still at work in my circumstances. No matter how much my circumstances may look like failure, I know that my present despair is not the end. Instead, I know that my present despair is tomorrow's glory. I don't know if you know the story of Joni Erickson Tata, but she was, she's become a very influential uh, person in the faith. She was someone who, uh, as a, a young teenager, uh, had a diving accident and was paralyzed. And, and, and you can imagine what that must feel like as a young person to wake up and, and to not be able to move your body, right? I mean, would you imagine feeling the despair in that moment? Like, life is done. What do I, I you know, I don't think I can get married or have kids. Who would want to marry me? Or, or what purpose would I serve? What can I do to, 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 to be productive in this world, right? There's many a reasons why someone might feel hopeless in those situations. But what she has made of her life is not really her making it of her life. It's her saying to God, I don't know what tomorrow looks like, but I'm going to cling to you. You're faithful. You can lead me through this. For Joni Erickson Tata, she, she, she woke up and she didn't know what the next day looked like, but she persevered, not in her own strength, but in her own weakness. She persevered in clinging to God. And what, she, what God has done, what he's used, is now used her to be a comfort for countless families who have found themselves in similar situations, giving birth to a child with Down syndrome or having, uh, losing a limb or, or, or not knowing how to care for a child with significant uh, developmental challenges. And yet she's able to point out in their circumstances how God is faithful to show up. He, he may not remove the pain and the struggle and the pressure, but he will guide them through it. He will give a meaning to what their lives and, and a purpose to what they're going through. Church, God absolutely gives us more than we can handle, but he doesn't give us more than he can handle. In God's hands, affliction, this pressure, is transformed from being meaningless to being eternally meaningful because it's shaping the hearts and minds and character of God's people in such a way that they become an influence on other people's lives. They can comfort those who find themselves in need of comfort as well. Look again at verses 3 through 4 of our passage. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by, by God. See, the, the key to understanding our relationship with affliction is understanding the character of God. God is a God of comfort. God is a God of mercy. And, and God is a God who is faithful. 
God speaks through the prophet Isaiah to his people in Isaiah 51 where he says this. He says, the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. You and I, we return to the presence of God and come to him with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And then he says this. God says, I, I am he who comforts you. God, his character is one of comfort. And it's so much more than that. But the grounding of our relationship to affliction is our relationship with a God of comfort. Being a disciple of Jesus and a child of God is learning to trust that God is our comforter. No amount of, of offerings from this world or uh, worldly wisdom will satisfy, will, will, will enable us to endure or persevere. Nothing this world has to offer can do that. Only the comfort we find grounded in our relationship with the God who is comfort. Now, this theme of comfort is something that Paul peppers throughout his second letter to the Corinthian believers. He uses uh, this word comfort uh, 11 times, paraclesis, which you may, that may sound familiar to you because uh, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the paraclete, the, the comforter, right? Paul uses this word paraclesis 11 times in this letter, and this word is actually used only 30 times in the New Testament. So over a third of the times that it's used in the New Testament, Paul uses it here in our letter to emphasize the character of God. See, this, impact, uh, this aspect of God's character is important for us to understand and embrace. When we talk about theology and why it matters what we believe and what we know and what we understand about God, this is one of those places where it comes in. Because we need to know and understand the right theology about who God is and what his purpose is for affliction. See, comfort here as God is using it, as Paul's using it, 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 it's not like a, hey, God wants to make us more comfortable. He's not talking about a God who wants to snuggle up next to you, who wants to give you warm and squishy feelings. He, he's not talking about a God who wants to take all the, the pain away and replace it with warm fuzzies. That, that's not the comfort that God's talking about here. The word that Paul's using emphasizes God's character to strengthen and encourage his people. When we face dire circumstances, we need to be strengthened and encouraged to persevere, to remain faithful, to endure on this, this road that we would not have chosen for ourselves, but yet it's before us and we can do nothing but walk through it. We're lying to ourselves if we think we can walk around it or ignore it or, or, or just pretend that it didn't happen. But when we endure through it by God's strength, and with his encouragement, our lives are transformed. And we learn to, to rely upon God more and more and see his hand of provision in these otherwise hopeless and dire circumstances. See, this character of God as a comforter, as one who strengthens and encourages his people, it, it highlights his sovereignty. It highlights his power, his ability. It, it highlights his, his, his all-knowingness. 
He knows what the road ahead looks like. He knows where this road will lead. He knows what your life will be transformed in as you trust in him and walk with him. To be strengthened and encouraged in this way requires that we maintain a moment-by-moment relationship with God. Not that we, we pick and choose those moments we want to turn to God. See, many of us have learned to, to turn to God when we need Him, much like when you get hungry, you, you turn off and you go through the McDonald's drive through right? I mean, it's, it's there for you whenever you want it. So it's quick, it's simple, it's easy. You know what? I think I'm hungry. I'm going to go to McDonald's. You know what? Life's getting hard. I think I'm going to go to God. I, I'm going to let God know what's going on in my heart, what's going on in my life. Uh, life is getting hard, so... I'm going to pull through and go to, go to the, the God drive-thru, right? But the relationship that God desires with us isn't like this. Rather, it's more like the relationship of a branch to a vine. That as that branch remains connected to that vine, when it abides in that vine, the, the, the nutrients from the soil, the, the sunlight from the sun, it comes raging through that branch and brings fruit and life and goodness strength and encouragement to endure, to, to en- endure a drought, to en- endure difficult circumstances. The strength and encouragement we need requires our remaining connected to God, to rely upon him for the comfort, for the, the courage and the strength we need to carry on. But then don't miss this last purpose that God has for affliction. See, God, God fills us with his strength and encouragement to endure through hard times. And I know we've all faced that. I don't believe, maybe if there's a little one still in here, they may not have really had to experience difficult times, but we've all had to face them. We're all facing them, and you will face them again. And the one thing that will determine how you come through that is your ability your willingness to rely upon God. I almost said your ability to, but that's, that's not the right word. Your willingness to rely upon God in those places. So God fills us with his strength and encouragement, but he does it so that the gospel of God's character will go forth, so that this world will see and experience the encouragement and the strength of God filling his people leading them through difficult circumstances. Growing up, I don't know if you, did you ever play blob tag? Yeah? No? Oh, good. That's good to know. Maybe they didn't do that in the Midwest, but no, they didn't. (laughs) Blob, no one, anyone? Blob tag? Really? All right, upstate New York is a bit of a, oh, good, 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 yeah. There's at least one. Thank you, Nina. (laughs) Blob tag is, you know, a tag is, right? It's where one person's it and they have to tag other people. And so you got these kids running around in melee and whatnot. Blob tag is the, is the game where there's one person who's it, but as they tag someone, you got to link up, right? And so now there's two of you who are it. And you're running around, you tag someone, now there's three of you, four of you, five of you. What, what starts as one now becomes this massive blob of kids. And there's that one kid who just keeps getting away because the blob is too slow because to, they have to stay together. The point is this. When God pours out his encouragement, when God pours out his strength in the life of a believer, when they learn to rely upon God in one circumstance, when they face that next circumstance and they're, they're more quick to rely upon God, to trust in him, to have faith in him, to lead them through whatever the circumstances may be, 
they're exposed to the nature and character of, of trusting in a faithful God. They understand that, that the gospel is not just about forgiveness for your past sin, but it's about learning to live into the abundance of life that we find only in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We become this gospel blob spreading throughout our communities. When we lose a loved one and when we, we sit in that anguish but we rely upon God, we become a, a reflection of God's love and grace and, and, and faithfulness to the people around us who need, who need to see it and need to hear it. See, I think God's desire is not just to comfort you and for that comfort to stay there with you. God's not looking to pour out his blessing of, of strength and encouragement and then see it just go stale in your life. God wants to see that strength and encouragement overflow from your life into the lives of people around you. So when your neighbor is grieving the loss of a loved one, when, when, when you come across someone whose child is going through a situation that, that they just can't make sense of, you're not going to show up and say, hey, by the way, God doesn't give you more than you can handle, so just be patient. You'll figure it out. No, you don't say that. You come alongside them compassionately. You understand the pain they're going through, and you can speak to the, the, the courage and the strength and, and the encouragement that you found through Jesus Christ. So you're not meant to hoard the blessing of a relationship with God, but, but, but bless and benefit the lives of people around you. So church, we don't, we don't turn back or shy away from trials and tribulations. There's a saying that goes, when the going gets tough, the tough gets going. But again, that's another one of those phrases. I, I don't think that's credited to the Bible, but that's certainly not biblical. I think what is biblical is that when the going gets tough, the faithful continue to trust in and cling to the Lord. Church, don't despair when we face hardships. I, I, it almost seems sadistic or uh, whatever, but, but I, I, I believe it's true. We can, we can rejoice in our suffering. We can rejoice in all circumstances. Why? Because the outcome is not dependent upon me. I can trust in, in God. He's dependable. He's faithful. He's reliable. He wants me to rely upon him and to let him shepherd me through this situation, these circumstances, the challenges that are before me. And so I, I think as crazy as it sounds, we can rejoice when we face hardships because it means that God's going to teach us to rely upon him. He's going to teach us to to, 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 to trust in his faithfulness, to see him as being trustworthy. I think God absolutely gives us more than we can handle because we were never meant to handle anything by ourselves. We're meant to rely on him who is made perfect through suffering. Do you realize that? If God doesn't uh, save Paul from enduring the suffering he went through. If God doesn't even save his own son from enduring the suffering he went through, why do we think that he would keep us from enduring suffering? We shouldn't. In fact, we should see that God has a purpose. 
to guide us through that suffering, to shape and mold us uh, to be a faithful people, and, and to realize that that, actually, you know what, I took this passage out, I'm going to go back to it. It's in Hebrews 2.10. The writer of Hebrews says this, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. The afflictions we face in this world, they're not meaningful, meaningless, empty pain. But when we entrust them into God's hands, he uses them to perfect us, to mature us, to grow us, to teach us that we're not meant to walk through this world alone, but that he has given us, that he is a God that we can rely on and trust in. So no, God doesn't give us more than we can handle. He absolutely gives us more than we can handle, but he doesn't give us more than he can handle. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we love you that uh, there are things in this world we can't make sense of, but, but yet you just, you invite us to, to trust you, to rely upon you, to, to, to desire you to lead us through the circumstances of this world. Thank you for, thank you for Jesus' example, more than just his example, but his making a way through his own death and resurrection that we might see your purpose in affliction, that we might see how you can utilize the pain of this world to, to transform us and make us beautiful, to, to perfect us, to make us whole again. Lord, give us hearts that trust in you. Make, awaken our minds to see your purpose in the midst of our affliction quicker than we ever have before. May we not just look back on our difficult times and, and see what you've done. May we look to you in the midst of our challenges and affliction and see your hand at work, see your trustworthy nature to comfort us, to strengthen and encourage us that we might endure and persevere and see the beauty of the life that you've called us to. Amen.
Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I've proved Him more and Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. Tis so sweet, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take Him at His word, just to trust him. Sing with me.
that there is nothing too great for you. And as we are pressed down and the us of our life is squeezed out of us like a sponge, may we soak up the is of you, Lord God. That as we are made weak, that you would be made strong. Amen. Amen. You know, thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Uh, worshiping with us in the sense of hearing from God through His Word, praising Him for His Word, praising Him for His promises. You know, one thing as we enter into the fall, as families come back from vacation, we know that there will be ministry opportunities this fall that we want to be able to have the opportunity to pray over. And so, if you will uh, consider uh, joining us after church on August 29th, we will be holding a, a, a prayer walk a time to pray over the, the, the places that God has given us to minister in, uh, to think about the leaders who will be stepping into those roles. You are invited to join us and recognize it's an important opportunity for us as a church. I also want to let you know that means that just over a month from now, we'll be heading into fall ministries. And so, uh, I don't know if that's exciting, nerve-wracking. Nerve for parents, it's exciting because it means kids are going back to school soon. Uh, but Again, keep that in mind, because soon we'll be gathering together to really ask those questions more clearly together. God, where are you inviting us to invest our energy in the gospel? Here in Fairfield, Fairfield County, to the ends of the earth. We desperately want to see the love of Jesus overwhelm and transform the families of our community, young and old. But we need one another to do that. So this morning, I, I, uh, I'll just be transparent. I know I sound a little bit melancholy. I think, I feel like I sound a little bit melancholy, but I just want you to know, I don't know, God's doing something in my heart this morning. He's, he's, I told the worship team I woke with a burden on my heart, and I'm still trying to clarify what that is, but I do know this. I love 
you all love this church, but even more importantly, I know God loves his church. And he is going to work powerfully in and through us. All we have to do is come back to his word, to live biblically healthy lives, to trust in him, to rely upon him, to know and understand him, to be that trustworthy God. And so I want to close us this morning, this benediction, a little bit differently. I'm actually going to pray rather than read a benediction from the Bible. So if you would stand with me, and I want to pray for us as a church. Heavenly Father, I thank you that your church is not dependent upon any one leader or even any man, but is dependent upon you and you alone. You love your church. You love your bride. And you are preparing your bride for the groom's return. Lord, what a day that will be when we celebrate being physically in your presence with Jesus Christ being fully transformed, made complete by your hand, not by our own efforts or own working or own obedience, but because your spirit is at work in us through Jesus Christ. Father, teach us to repent in those places where we as a church have not been faithful to you and to your word, where we have hurt people and families, where we have not represented the gospel of Jesus Christ. Forgive us and teach us to live repentant of those ways that we have not represented you well. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a work in us to, uh, to, to transform us to be the church we see in the Bible, in your word, that we would be faithful to living out your scriptures, that we would be quick to apologize and humble in those places where we need to be humbled so that we might be transformed in a loving way by you, Jesus. Father, I thank you that we have such a loving God, a loving Father, who desires not to heap us with guilt and shame, but to forgive us, to, to, to lead us out from those places of darkness and guilt and shame, and, and to lead us to the place where we are firmly connected to your divine love and wisdom and guidance. Thank you for gathering a people who by faith in Jesus Christ are one in the family of God. Strengthen us, encourage us, Lord. Empower us to be your people here in Fairfield, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace, church.